What do you think a drummer should never do in a Broadway pit? The drummer should never be unprepared. Are, are you referring to any drummer or specifically subs? Subs, really. Okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I think my answer stands just like always be as prepared and put in more time than you think you should and be overprepared. It shows when they're not. Never be unprepared. And yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. If you like what you hear on the show and you want to know more, subscribe to Broadway Drumming 101 at broadwaydrumming101.com. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Sam Merrick. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I've heard many great things about you and finally got a chance to hear some of your drumming on the Anne Juliet cast recording. Yeah. And yeah. of course, some live stuff that I've seen on your website. I really, really love your playing. And one of the things that I want to try to emphasize to people is that most people that come from the music world where they're playing different music like Sharon Jones or like we just discussed before we started with uh, doing sessions for Charlie Wilson or many other people that you work with, you've played pop music before, rock, jazz, funk, whatever, and now Mm -hmm. you're doing Broadway. Mm -hmm. The reason why I bring that up is because you're doing a show that is specifically pop oriented. I just want to make sure that people understand that it's it's not the only way to get into a show, but it's it's definitely helpful if you know how to play all that stuff and now you're doing it so easily and so so excellently. Is that the right is that the right word for That's the word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a, on, a, on a, such a high level, it's just it's something that you know, I kind of want to start this this podcast episode with because uh, you're a clear example of what kind of skills I believe are needed and are generally uh, preferred when it comes to doing something like you're doing. But anyway, enough about my ranting at the very beginning. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, I'm I, I have lots to say about that. I guess you're from Nashville or DC or or Brooklyn. The last the last few years have been a, a bit of a whirlwind in terms of my geography, but I'm from Vermont originally, went to college in Boston, moved to New York, got a bartending gig, kind of started meeting more people, playing more music, and um, eventually could cut out the bartending stuff and was just playing music full time. And um, and yeah, that, that's I've just been kind of rolling. Did you want to go to music school or did you study something else in college? Uh, I was a communications major in college. I played I played in high school. I was playing in the jazz band. I did like the district jazz band. I did Allstate one year. Um, so I was like pretty, I was pretty, took music very seriously in high school and uh, devoted a lot of time to it. But I also, I think like wanted to just keep my options open, which as a 17 year old making that decision seems like a very mature thing to do. But, uh, yeah. So I, so I just kind of went to school for, uh, communications, went to Boston university and was basically got a journalism degree of sorts. And, um, 
graduate, I was playing drums all through college and like had, had was in like a, a jam band and like, you know, we, we were playing at the bar every week and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of people from Berkeley when I was there. And, um, and then, yeah. And then I, I stuck around Boston for a year and I, I was just like bartending and playing in my band. The band kind of dissolved when people started leaving town. And so I had a friend in New York who was already here who had just randomly had a room open up on, totally on a whim. And he's like, Hey, do you want to just come to New York? And I just said, yeah, let's do it. The timing worked out. And so I just like sold my car. I sold a bunch of stuff and I just like came and, uh, got, got a bartending gig in times square, which, uh, just so happened to be directly below the old drummer's world shop on 46th street. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like totally a random series of events, but just ended up meeting a ton of drummers from people coming downstairs and just like having lunch at my bar and just chatting and then like getting invited to like a little jam session thing here. Uh, I kind of got the ball rolling for me um, in New York. So so looking back, what was your first musical memory? My my father was a bass player, um, recreational bass player he 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 was a photographer by trade but he played in a blues band um and they they practiced every every thursday night and you know so it's like the whole band would come and load in all their gear on thursday nights at the house and uh play like stone songs and other other like just 60s rock stuff and uh and yeah, I mean, I, I, I was basically the, the sixth member of the band just kind of sitting behind the drum set with a little egg shaker, just like. <laughs> did you ever sit in with them, like playing drums with them? I, you know, I think I probably did at some point, just, but uh, they, yeah, I, it happened at one point in time. Now, I don't think ever on a gig, but maybe at a band practice, I'm sure I sat in at some point. Um but I actually ended up forming like a little power trio with uh, uh, the guitar player in that band's two sons. Um, we were called the Outlets, and we played like Jimi Hendrix song. I mean, we were probably in sixth grade, and so we kind of like fudged our way through Jimi Hendrix songs and like uh, what did we play? Played some Green Day songs, and um, yeah, basically all the things that we probably were listening to then. But were there any drummers that you? idolized when you were young yeah um i mean i was definitely in like a heavy hendrix phase then so i like mitch mitchell was like you know he could play all the notes and and uh yeah he definitely was like the drummer who i at that point in time i was definitely like looking up to and trying to uh like cop some of his riffs and whatnot but did um, did your father sit you down and say look Listen to this album, Are You Experienced? Check this out. Or were you just uh, influenced by the drummer that was playing with your father? Uh, I would also, yeah, I mean, that's a great point because I was also heavily influenced by the drummer that I could come and see in person every Thursday night for many years. Um, This guy, Chris Kuhn, who was just like really great musical player. And um, yeah, I got my first drum set through him, actually. So uh, this old, like, 60s Gretsch round badge that I really wish I never sold. But <laughs> is that one of the things you sold to get to to Boston? Uh, no. Oh to get my to god, New York. I'm saying. I'm sorry. Um, no. I think I. I don't even. I think I sold that kit like pre high school because I I was getting way more into jazz in high school and I think I needed 
smaller drums. So I think I had gotten a smaller, some sort of kit at that juncture, but it, it is, it's long gone, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, I, I sold like furniture. I sold my car. I, I, yeah, I mean, I just came to New York with, without much and, you know, it's kind of so, how it has to happen sometimes. So you were in jam bands when you were in, at Boston college where uh, Boston uh, university, yeah. Boston university, sorry. Were there, uh, was that some of the kind of things that you were uh, aspiring to be like, you want to be like fish or, or. Oh, I would have loved that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like I, I think at that stage, I mean, I, I was, I was super, super into jazz in high school. And I think by the time I got to college, I started kind of like gravitating into more just like groove based music with an improvisational element. And I think that I, you know, I, I kind of just naturally gravitated toward bands like, like fish, like, uh, Modesky, Martin and Wood, uh, you know, some of those early or not early, but, uh, like, the, uh, John Schofield bands with Adam Deitch, um, lettuce, uh, yeah, like bands like that. So, so that's kind of where I feel like my musical tastes took a big, took a big turn um and yeah yeah i mean and yeah my band like listening back now it's which is pretty hard to listen to <laughs> but yeah we were having fun and i think that's at the essence what was important and and we were just playing music and kind of making music that we didn't you know we weren't trying to make a hit or anything we were just trying to like create exciting energy filled spontaneous uh spontaneous fueled tunes and it, it it was it was a lot of fun and so yeah, it was a good if, stage if i wanted to find your band from from college can i look on spotify and and find it you there's do. not a single record of this band anywhere on the internet if you can what? believe i think we had a myspace page which is <laughs> i have not even looked at for well over well over a decade but um uh, we were called the high rise um, and good luck finding anything about that. <laughs> Somebody might have some bootleg tapes from like, you know, a tape that said, what, when were you, uh, in college? What years in the nineties? Uh, 2000s? this was in early two thousands. Uh, so 2006 is I think when we put it, like made a little EP. At right, so you, you wouldn't have a, I guess you wouldn't have a cassette then you probably have a, no, this was post cassette. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's probably at my mother's house in Vermont, there's some box with like a hundred high rise CDs. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. That's funny. So you moved yeah. to New York and you got a bartending gig under Drummer's World, which I really, really, really missed that shot. Yeah. And there were just, you know, like I said, there were some people especially the guys who worked at the shop would come down and have lunch it, it was a cuban restaurant that i worked at so you know they would just come down and have lunch and uh and then one of the guys was like oh hey i'm doing this i forget how it came up but i, I played him some recording that i had made back in boston or something he's like oh you do play drums cool and he's like, hey, so I, I, every Monday there's like this thing at Rose Live in Williamsburg, which was this old club. Uh, it's now gone, unfortunately. But uh, but basically, yeah, every Monday night there was like kind of like a soul, R&B, Afrobeat session that uh, 
was led by this guy, Chauncey Yearwood, who also worked at the drummer's world shop, I think for a little, little stretch, but um, yeah, just one of like the sweetest people in the world and great vocalist, great percussionist, great drummer. Um, and he, he really was so welcoming to like new people coming into the fold and like, was always like, you know, I would, I would, after my shift on a Monday night, I would, you know, take the train out to Williamsburg and like go there. And it was always just like, Oh, Sam, like come sit in and play a song. Like, and you know, this, he didn't really know me, but he just was so welcoming. And like, that was the community there. And, um, and I can still pretty much trace back like 90% of like my New York network had somehow stemmed from the connections and friends that I had made at those soul survivor sessions at Rose. Um, so that, yeah, so that, that was just like a really getting the bartending gig there, meeting Chauncey, meeting Taylor, meeting Dave. And, and, uh, it was all like a, for a very fortuitous stream of events to, you know, where, where I, where I have ended up. So, so those, uh, sessions where you went and, and sat in and you mm-hmm. met other musicians, what led you to be able to say, you know what, I'm leaving this bartending thing behind. I'm doing the next thing. I'm playing drums full time. Yeah. Well, oh, are, are you still bartending? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's cause that's a great, it's a great flexible gig. If you can, if you can do it and still keep your eye on the prize of playing music. Um, but I guess it was in 2015 that I think I finally just, quit the bartending gig and it wasn't and I I had it really good too I was at the time working in the East Village like two days a week and really flexible really low-key bar I played my own music it was it was a really great great place to work um but I think yeah that was like right around the time where I was just basically gone for the whole summer touring with uh Sharon Jones and I I was just like yeah I think it's time and I just decided to just do it and yeah. You went on tour with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. How'd you get connected with them? Um, I guess, I mean, I was playing a lot of soul jazz, like organ trio kind of stuff around that period. And uh, through people that I had met at that club, Rose, um, and we were just doing some like local bar gigs. And I think, uh, the one of the office managers at Daptone would always hang at the bar that we used to play with. And we kind of, you know, we knew him, we were friendly with him, but he knew that like the, the tour was needing somebody to sub for the summer. Um, it was a tour like national tour opening for uh, the Tedeschi trucks band. Yeah. Playing some big, big venues. And so anyways, he asked me if I wanted to audition. And so I, I went and like one afternoon and just played, I think like five or six songs with, with the Dap Kings at, at the studio in Bushwick and um, yeah, got the gig and went out that summer and up to, yeah, I mean, that was, the, that was like the biggest, biggest thing I had done up to that point in my, in my career. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I got my butt kicked, man. It was, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard gig. It was in, what, a really hard gig. in what way? Well, musically, it taught me just like coming into like a completely new, um, unfamiliar circumstance where I didn't really know anybody. Um, Sharon was just a really 
I mean, she was an, an amazing band leader and, but just like really knew what she wanted in terms of tempos and things. And like, they kind of varied from night to night, depending on kind of how she was feeling. And like, you know, basically like the, the normal drummer who, uh, who plays on all the records, Homer, uh, he basically was like, yeah, just like watch Sharon's feet. Like they'll tell you everything you need to know. And like, um, that band also just like, they kind of, it, the, the, everything was very calculated, but also very loose at the same time. And so I, if I can explain that, like, um, you know, there's just going to be like the part, the part and the groove and the way that everything's locking is so, so, so specific, but the times in which like the length of sections and just like how we're going to end songs and where we're just going to like, you know, drop it on one. It was all very fluid depending on how Sharon was moving and, it was just like keeping your eyes glued on her, keeping your eyes glued on the MD who was just like, could at any moment just like stomp his foot and you just got to drop the one and then, and like, you know, bring down the dynamics or just like, like when a song will end, when like a next section will begin. It was like that, those things were fluid from night to night. And so, yeah, just coming into those circumstances, not really knowing anybody personally, not like, you know, rolling with a band who has been basically like, road dogging it hard for over a decade and they're just like a tight knit group of group of guys and me being like the young new guy it was just yeah it was just a lot of it was a lot did you get hazed when you uh first got in did they were like oh we got a new guy. <laughs> no there was no hazing no um <laughs> everyone was cool everyone was cool um but I, I yeah but i think like socially though i mean it was it was a hard harder situation to go into because again like it was like a group of like guys who have spent thousands and thousands of hours together in a van for, for years. And I'm just like this new, like bright eyed kid, like, like, let's, this is funky. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, man, well, the, the music was great and sad to see her pass. I know. I know. I know. It was hard. And, um, but yeah, but I, I got the opportunity to play with other Daptone bands for the next few years. And, uh, did a couple of dates with Charles in 2017. Charles Bradley did um, did a long Europe tour with Sharon's backup singers, Son and Star, who had put out a record on Daptone. Um, and uh, yeah, just like other Daptone adjacent projects popped up, and that was actually how one of the the sessions with Charlie Wilson um, came up was through was through that. So coming from the whole Dat Kings family. After, you know, after a while, you said, you know what? I want to do Broadway. Or <laughs> how'd you wind up getting? Uh, yeah, into, into I mean, man, honestly, yeah, honestly, I kind of stumbled into it. Because um, I guess at this point, it was around 2017. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I had I had done some fun tours. And I think I was I was teaching a lot of lessons at the time. And I think I was just... I don't know, just looking for whatever the next thing might be. And um, I was also playing in like club, club date bands. And I was on a gig at some country club in, 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 in Westchester. And uh, it was my first time playing with this band. And um, I got chatting with the guitar player and he had actually just gotten the touring Hamilton gig for the Angelica tour. It's like, oh man, amazing. Congrats. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, I'd love to get into that world at some point. You know, I, I don't really, I know a few guys who do it, but like, 
I don't know if like the subbing thing is, I, I don't really know how, how any of this stuff works. I'm very green. Um, and he's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, you know, so-and-so anyways. So we got, we were chatting a bit and, um, the next day I get a Facebook message from this guitar player and he says, Hey, I think the Hamilton Philip tour is looking for a drummer still. Um, I could refer you to the contractor if that was something you might be interested in. And I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, that would be incredible. I, I know nothing about that world, but like, yeah, I would love to have a job. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, and I, I didn't hear anything for a few weeks and I reached back out to my, my, the guitar player. I was like, Hey, was I supposed to hear anything? He's like, Oh, I don't know. Here's the guy's contact. Just like text him. And so I reached out to the contractor directly and, um, he had also just happened to get my name from somebody else for some non-Broadway related music event thing. And so I think I, I was on his radar a little bit, but he's like, Oh yeah, sure. Here's, you know, here's the audition material. And, um, and so I basically did five, five songs from Hamilton. Um, I recorded myself in my studio, uh, just drums and click playing the ink submitted it. You know, I was just like, we'll, we'll see how this goes. And then, uh, I was, I was out of town playing a few weeks later and I, I'm, and I get this random phone call and I'm like, I don't know who this is. And so I pick it up and it's Alex Lackamore calling me. And I was like, Oh, Alex. Hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Sam, Hey, I, I saw your audition. And, and, you know, I, I was, I really was really impressed and, you know, I don't really have any notes for you. Like clearly you can play the ink and like make it feel good. And, but I do want you to show me that you can have fun with this music, you know? So can you just like do another round and just like record yourself, like having fun playing it, which, you know, could mean a lot of things, but you know, I, I just kind of assumed that he just kind of wanted some sauce in certain places and, and, and just like kind of do my thing a little bit and just kind of stretch in certain moments. Which so I did. I submitted it, and you know, three weeks later, yeah, I got the gig. So that's that's kind of how the Hamilton thing came about. That was that was uh, that was the fall of 2017. So, what's the biggest difference initially that you've noticed playing with bands? like Sharon Jones and Dap Kings or playing club dates or just playing in bars in, you know, and other venues in New York city, as opposed to playing in a Broadway show where you got five snare drums and triggers and, and cymbals everywhere and, and looking at uh, a screen, looking at the conductor, what's, what do you find? What, what did you see the biggest differences were? The specificity of what you're playing in Hamilton is obviously on a different level from any of those kinds of gig situations you named. Like, I mean, it's like that show in particular is like, is highly, highly specific in, in terms of like what notes you play, what notes you don't play, uh, dynamics, um, you know, orchestrations around the kit for fills. Like, it's, it's the, I mean, over the years, I've I've kind of found my little Easter eggs where I I can like you know stray from the ink a little bit, but 
but it's but coming into that situation it was like oh this is that you do this thing one way and i was always coming from the school of if i feel like i want to play a fill a certain way i go for it and like i i i hit hard and like this is how it's going to be and um and, and and this and Broadway in general, uh, and especially Hamilton, was not that. And so that was and so yeah, I, I honestly didn't know if I could play a full show of the ink and like do and do that thing. I, I didn't know if I was capable of it truly because I I was always into a lot of improvisation, improvisational music and like things like I, I very much like followed my. Uh, my musical intuition and kind of all musical scenarios. And this was one where it was like, you kind of just had to separate that for a bit and just, and, and do what this particular job required of you and only that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that was a big adjustment. And um, yeah, it was, it was a learning experience. And I mean, that book is uh, infamous for just being super specific and really hard and, um, you know, clicks dropping in and out and a uh, lot of conductor following, which I also hadn't really had much experience with, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that was, that was definitely the most challenging thing I had done in my musical life up until that point, for sure. Where was your first show? Uh, the tour opened in Seattle, um, in January, 2018. And, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, it was just, it's just like, you just suddenly your life, you're just, I'm just leaving New York. I'm just gone. And we just like end up in Seattle. I was like, all right, I guess I'm here now. And this, and it's a very, it's a very strange uh, reality that you suddenly have to grapple with. Um, but uh, yeah, we started in Seattle. Um, I recommended uh, one of my good, good friends and amazing bass players, uh, Jordan Scanella for the gig and he auditioned and got the gig. So I was on this journey with like, my good buddy and, you know, and, and musical partner, um, rhythmic counterpart. So that I think made the whole situation, uh, put me a little bit more at ease, just having some familiar people in my, in my camp. But, um, anyways, yeah. So it was just like two days of rehearsal in Seattle in the lobby of, of the theater. And then we did a sits probe and, and then we're off to, off to the races you know, dress rehearsals, tech, the whole thing. I mean, it was a massive, massive life shift. And, and I welcomed it, honestly. At, Cause like I said, at that point in my life, I, I was like, I had done some fun tours. I, you know, I had some teaching things. I was playing some fun gigs, but I was just like, okay, what's like, what's the next thing. And, and that, that next thing came along in the form of Hamilton. And so I, I definitely like embraced the road thing. I, I was, I didn't have a, a partner at the time. And, um, yeah, there was all the reasons to go on tour were like were good ones, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this makes total sense. But um, the reasons for being on tour, the reason for it being a really difficult thing to do is yes, you are just gone, and this is not like a rock tour where you go away for six weeks and then you come home and then you're like in your space. And no, it's you are just straight up gone, and. Hamilton, especially, it's like there are no layoffs. So it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of touring shows, they'll have like, you know, you'll be out for three or four months and then you'll have two weeks off 
two weeks layoff. But this this show was not that because at you know at that time it was like the new hot thing on the road, and so it was a hot ticket. So every city, you know, we we were we were going and we were just doing doing uh, doing every city without breaks. And um, so yeah, I was just gone, and you know it, that was hard to grapple with over time just because it's like you kind of lose your feeling like you're losing your value in the, in the musical marketplace so to speak um you you know all the friends and your musical family in new york you're gone from and you miss a lot of holidays with family uh but i guess i i yeah, I mean, let's just say that like when I left Hamilton a few months ago, it was the right time to do so. And I was, you know, I left feeling really grateful for the gig. I mean, it really changed my life, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I met my my current partner on the show. Uh, she worked for the company as well. And um, we've been together for four years and uh, I was able to buy a house. Like just like things like that, that I just like think I didn't really know. I didn't think were possible for me at that point, like prior to Hamilton. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think more good came out of that experience than anything. So, so how many Hamilton tours are there? Um, it started out with two and there was one sit down in Chicago and one sit down in San Francisco Chicago has since closed. San Francisco has turned into a tour. So technically right now there are three touring Hamilton companies, two of which are closing in the spring. And so the Philip company, which was, which was my company is going to be the one that continues onward. (laughs) That's so interesting. All these connections. So yes, I played ain't too proud and the, drummer that does the podcast for working drummer the working drummer podcast is going out yep. and playing ain't too proud because q left the ain't too proud tour that took over my chair <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's a whole shuffle <laughs> so now it makes sense i was like wait a minute now i'm putting all this stuff together so you left that tour two months ago which q took over and now yep. you're doing and Juliet, which is contracted by my good buddy Mike Aaron's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, yeah, and the and Juliet came about that one of my one of my oldest musical collaborators um, is this guy Dominic Falcaro, who's the MD of and Juliet and one of the orchestrators. He co-orchestrated the whole and arranged the show with Bill Sherman, who also had worked on Hamilton and In the Heights and a slew of other things. Um, uh, but Dominic and I had go, we go way back cause we had played in bands together in New York from in like 2009 to, yeah, and made a lot of records together basically until I left for Hamilton. Um, and so the timing of the whole thing just kind of really worked out. I'm like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very lucky how all the, all the stars aligned for, for like what the time when I was leaving Hamilton or I, even when I was looking to leave Hamilton and, and Juliet starting, to gain some momentum in terms of a Broadway run and uh, to do that. So, but yeah, uh, I'm back in New York. <laughs> so, so it's been a wild ride. So that person was, who was it again? Uh, his name's Dominic Falacaro. He and, is uh, 
a piano player, producer, and he's the MD for Anne Juliet. Did you do any of the out-of-town tryouts for this show? Um, I didn't. The, so the, Anne Juliet was running in London, and still it, it opened right before the pandemic. I think, I think they opened in November of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. But... Uh, but yeah, they're still running in London. Um, and I, I wasn't involved in any of that. Um, but for the North American company and the company that's now on Broadway, I, I only did the pre Toronto, which was the pre Broadway city. I only did the pre Broadway rehearsals, which happened to be in New York, um, this past summer. Um, I, cause at that point we didn't have a theater. We didn't have a date on to open on Broadway. So you know, they basically, there there was no reason to take me to Toronto and have to deal with the Rule 24 situation and do all that. Um, so I only did the rehearsals for the pre-Broadway run. And then, um, yeah, and then the next time I, I, I kind of linked up with the crew was basically in August to do the cast recording. Which brings me to that, that specific topic of the cast recording. When I was... Uh, right doing some research on you and, and trying to find out more about you online, I, I heard the cast recording and I was just like, man, this sounds really, really, really good. And your playing yeah. is excellent and it's authentic. And one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is how knowing certain <laughs> genres uh, and being familiar with them and, and knowing how they, you know, how the language of certain styles of music can assist you with a Broadway show, especially something like Anne Juliet, because it's primarily pop music and -hmm. knowing how to play that stuff authentically makes your job and the the music director's job and trying to explain things to you much more, much easier to you. When -hmm. you were recording the cast recording, were you trying to emulate the songs, you know, and trying to get them as close to the original songs as possible? And, during that process, did you have various drum sets that you were using to get different sounds, different snare drums? Like how did that whole recording process go? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll answer the first part of that question. Um, so basically, so there was some template in place when I went to the studio because there was a London cast recording that had been made. So there was some sort of blueprint made. And for most of the songs, we were playing along to like they muted the drums and the bass track and the bass player and I went in and did the first three days of the sessions. But uh, we were basically playing along to some of the tracks that the London band had cut. So like there was already some sort of framework there. And like, based on like what that drummer had done, I I had some ideas, you know, uh, some baseline of like what this needs to be and what this is supposed to sound like. So I, I can't say that I was going in and flying totally blind. Um, that said, uh, I think, and, and and this is from, you know, working with uh, Dominic for many years and kind of knowing what he gravitates toward uh, sonically and uh, energy and just uh, intention wise. He just really likes when the drummer is just laying into it and like playing and, and, you know, he said, it's like, these songs are like, you know, they're like, a lot of the songs are from the late nineties and like they're, they were recorded in the box. And so what's going to make this show work 
as if like the drums are just going ham the whole time and playing bombastically and just really bringing that fire that's needed because that's the thing that translates into the audience and makes this feel exciting and that that energy uh really has the energy that i bring to it really has an effect on the overall audience experience of the show so anyway so that that session i basically kind of i mean i made i dialed back some things for the sake of this we're making a record here but um yeah i mean there were some songs that i was just like we're just going for these big big fills and these big uh ramp ups into choruses and just just kind of again i keep using the word going for it but like it's kind of it's, it's kind of the name of the game so as far as the drums that you used and the the different snares i noticed there were there were sounds that you were getting was that something that you had you brought in snares or they had different snares or did they just no um we used for on i mean there's like 29 tracks I think for almost 25 of them, we used one drum set and it was, it was an old Ludwig that was just at the power station. That's like, it was, it was so big. It was the big, yeah, I had, I'm, it was very funny. I was not used to playing drums this big. Uh, Cause with kick one was kick was 24. It was racked. Rack was 13. Floor toms were 16, 18. And yeah, I mean, I basically used those drums on all but maybe four tracks for the session. Um, I, I had, I, I joke with Dominic and Bill about this, but yeah, I, I definitely made a point to try to want to play some smaller drums just to see what happened. But it just like the kind of the breakneck pace of that whole session was just there was just no time to just you know break down a kit and then set up a new kit. You know, I mean. I basically had three days and the whole first day we were just getting sounds. Like we tracked two songs in the first day, which meant that we needed to do 27 songs in the next two days. So it was just like three takes next, three takes next overdub symbol up next. Like it was, it was, it was like that. So there wasn't a lot of time to be switching out kits, but we did, uh, switch out snare drums quite often and there's a couple tracks where um the producer of the record or i should say the co-producer of the record and the engineer um who is basically like max martin's kind of like right hand man in all all things uh instrument and vocal recording in a lot of his projects uh he he wanted some towels on the drums for some for a couple tracks he uh yeah, he had a very specific idea of what he was looking for sonically. Um, but yeah, but there were snare drums that were definitely switched out quite often. And uh, but the kit, the main kit itself, I mean, even the cymbals, it just I I played the kind of the same setup the whole time. Fascinating. Yeah. Twenty-four inch bass drum. My God, it's big. I know. It was. It, I was very tired at the end of every day. <laughs> trying to move enough air like i mean you have to work 30 percent harder to move the air for drums that size um to get the right sounds and tones as you know and so yeah i was exhausted after that i was i just i couldn't even see straight by the end of that last day wow yeah so you did you record the cast album before you opened yes 
Yeah, we recorded it in August. So we had we basically did two days of rehearsals with the band um, at, at, at a rehearsal studio just to kind of get familiar with the music and just meet each other. And, and then two days later, we're just in the studio cutting it. Now, I have a question for you. I guess this is your first cast recording, which a lot yeah. of people haven't had the, 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 the fortune to have the ability to record on the cast record, but you've done one. Uh, now that you've been doing the show for a while, do you feel that if you went back and recorded it again, it'd be a lot different or better? Oh, it'd be so much better. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate that feeling because, you know, I think it's happened to me maybe once or twice. Yeah. Uh, and you, you listen back, you're like, oh, man, what I do now is so much better than I know, man. I'm like, oh, I could have just made that thing feel better. I could have, like, I would have chosen a different thing here. I, yeah. I mean, we can drive ourselves nuts just yeah. thinking about that. But there is something to be said for just like that, that snapshot of time was captured. And, you know, I think the level is still pretty high and it sounds incredible. So it's like, yeah, this is cool. This is what it is. This is a vibe. And I think the importance was just that the energy was there. The intention was there. Yeah. Listening back to it now. I mean, I hear some stuff. I'm just like, Oh God, I wish that I, I wish I just knew how this thing was supposed to feel a little bit better. And just like, it, it, we, again, we can drive ourselves nuts saying coulda, shoulda, woulda, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it the way it turned out. And, um, yeah, people seem to dig it. And, um, yeah, I mean, my kit for the show is also just totally different than how, than the kit that I had recorded all the, all the tracks on. I mean, I'm using like a, definitely a more like modern drum, like Pearl maple gum kit, 10, 12, 14, 16, three snares, a lot of like bunch more symbols. Like it's a pretty, pretty serious rig. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just it's just like a totally different approach. Are you playing electronics in the pit too? Yeah, yeah, I have a bunch of triggers, um, F, SPDX. Uh, yeah, yeah, doing it, doing it all, all the bleeps and bloops. <laughs> so you are on Broadway now. It, it's uh, eight shows a week now. You were on tour for uh, since twenty seventeen, right? Uh, early 2018. Yeah. Early 2018 until two months ago. Obviously yeah. there was a little blip of time that you weren't, but, uh, you're, you were doing the same thing for so long and didn't, you never took a day off, did you? No. I mean, we had a couple of weeks of vacation every year, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing the Ocho if you're on the road. Um, <laughs> the Ocho. There's no... <laughs> The hateful eight. Uh, there's just no, I mean, there's just no way around it. Cause like, especially for a book like Hamilton, if you need a sub and your tour is in Des Moines, it's not like a thing that some the average or really even like exceptional players can just go in and sight read, you know? Um, so anyways, yeah. So we just do, we do, we do all eight every week, kind of week after week. And it's, it's a grind. It's a, it's a mental grind. It's a physical grind. So, so now on Broadway to, to like not necessarily have to do that if I don't want to, is a, it's a pretty mind blowing change. So that was going to, I was going to bring that up. You don't have to be there. Do what would you call it? The hateful eight or doing the Ocho? 
the outro, yeah. <laughs> you you you've done the Iron Man course on the road. Now you're you know you're you're coasting. Now you got you you know somebody's bringing you along in a rickshaw. You're like, man, I made it. I'm cool now. Now when you're on Broadway, you can take up you can take off up to fifty percent of these shows and do other things to basically get your mind off of what you know you're doing at the show and and stay in the marketplace and just do other things musically. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's a very good perk. Um, since you didn't take off when you were at Hamilton and you can't take off when you're at Anne Juliet, have you started to think about who you're going to possibly hire as a sub and what you're going to be looking for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have the book out to, um, some guys and I, I've, I have, I've had a guy come in and do the show already. I have another one doing two shows this weekend, um, just to, get them in the rotation and just getting them up to speed. I mean, in this, in this era where, you know, you can come in and then get a test positive for COVID for instance, like that's like, you need to have people and it's just the kind of the new reality that we all have to kind of grapple with. And uh, so I, I, I've made it a point to kind of get people up to speed and get in there early um, just because I mean, I can't, I can't think of anything worse than to have to cancel a show because there's no drums. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, for this, so this shows, I think a little unique in terms of um, what I'm looking for and what I know that the music team is looking for. Um, and I, I know I spoke a lot about when during, we're doing the album recording process about energy and intention and laying into it and just like going for it um musically speaking and uh i tried to i've reached out to people who i know are like really capable of that like you know like there are some fills in the in the show and some moments that are orchestrated and written in the ink because they have to be a certain way based on choreography based on you know a slew of other factors but there's a lot in the show that is kind of open for interpretation. Like, like it's just slashes. It's like, how do you want to lead into this course? Play a big fill here, you know? And like, I encourage my, my subs and people learning the book to be like, yeah, like if you are, don't really, if you're unsure, just like play what I play and you can come in and just be, you know, be a mirror of me in the pit. And I think that's the typical Broadway sub um, ethos is just be the just be a mirror image of the guy who holds the chair. Um, now for Anne Juliet, I, I I think like again like this show requires a certain level of energy and spontaneity and explosiveness that has to be conveyed from the drum chair. And you know, there's more that like it's pop music. There's a lot of different ways to play to play like. Um, like a big rock bonhomie fill going into this section, you know? And, and like, I really, I called guys who I knew had whose musical intuition that I trusted and really respected. So, and, and I'm, and I tell them, I'm like, look, like I, I've, I've highlighted in orange on the score, the things that you have to do, you have to play this ink, but you know, these slashes in this other moment, like I want you, I want you to like stretch a little bit. I want you to like, lay into it and like follow your musical um your your musical intuition because that's what this show calls for 
What do you think a drummer should never do in a Broadway pit? The drummer should never be unprepared. I think that is, I mean, are, are you referring to any drummer or specifically subs? Subs, really. Okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I think my answer stands just like always be as prepared and put in more time than you think you should and be overprepared. Like, uh, and it shows when they're not never be unprepared. And, and yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What advice would you give to someone that's interested in playing on a Broadway tour or Broadway show? Um, my advice would just to be fluent in uh, different different styles and learn how to play them authentically. Um, you know, like there's, I feel like, like what MDs and orchestrators and contractors are looking for these days are people who can, again, like create energy in the room through playing, through, through their drumming and, you know, like having like, we all know that like the mixes in a lot of Broadway shows are not super favorable towards the band and definitely more for the vocals. But like, if in given that, if you can be a drummer who like really just brings energy and brings fire and plays with intention um, and authenticity to that style, whatever that may be. um, uh, I think that will probably get you hired. (laughs) Like people don't want someone necessarily who is just like only into boom chick and, and theatery kind of stuff. They want people who can like lay into some rock things and make it feel really good for the rest of the band. And, um, and honestly, I like, I don't think that that kind of advice is that different from just like being a a good working drummer in general, you know, I, I really don't think it's that different. And, and, you know, being able like to, to work in Broadway and to do the thing. And, and it's a, definitely a certain skill set that requires you to know how to like follow a conductor and to do those things and like really know how to play in ink. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to just playing with intention and playing with authenticity and like making things feel good, making things groove, make things feel good. I mean, that, that, that to me is paramount. Say, for instance, the show and Juliet closes in the year 2052 and you're still playing it. (laughs) That'd be great. Would you say, you know what, I will go work for the New York Times if it's still around. Journalism, since you studied that. Oh, um, listen, I'm, I'm open to a lot of things. I mean, in the pandemic, when things were looking pretty bleak and for live music and theater and things like I. I took up like kind of a tech support job and, you know, I, I did it when I was on the road a few hours a day just cause I had time. And so I'm, I'm not opposed to, to like some career pivots in any way. I mean, I, I think it's healthy. Makes you appreciate going in and playing drums a little bit more. The person that you were in Vermont going to Boston university. university. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and said, you know what, I want to do this over again. What would you change? I wish I was a little bit more, um, looking back, I wish I had a little bit more discipline in terms of practicing and like really, um, working on the drums from a technical perspective. Um, 
I feel like I, I gained a lot by just playing music for the fun of it and versus going to school. I think there's something to be said for some, nobody telling you how to do one thing or another, but there is an element of, of just, I wasn't, I wasn't ever like forced to go into a practice room for three hours and be like, no, I have to learn this solo and read it note for note. And I have like, you know, like, like stuff like that. Like I never did that. And I think as you know, as I'm working today, I'm still, I feel like I'm not the strongest reader overall, but I feel, so there's like things that like I wish I did back then. So those tasks now would be a lot easier. Um, but as far as my trajectory of going to non-music school and doing what I did, I mean, yeah, it was, it, I, I wouldn't change anything. I don't think. So I feel to, good a, about that. so to a young person that's in high school and they're like, you know what? I need to go to Berkeley. I need to go to Juilliard. I need to go to university of North Texas. I need to go to USC. I need to study music. I need to study theater in order to be on Broadway, because that's all I want to do is do exactly what Sam Merrick is doing. Would you say, no, okay, don't do that. Go out and play and, and play with, with, with be the, 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 the new drummer for Dave Matthews band, which I don't know what happened to Dave Matthews band, by the way. I'm sorry for going off on a tangent. Are they still oh, around? Oh, they're still playing arenas and Carter Boker <laughs> is still ruling. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, I, 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 if a young kid came to me and I, I wouldn't discourage them from going to music school. Cause I think some people need that structure and I think it's probably healthy. I would say don't take out a lot of student loans to do it. If you are going to do it. Um, don't, yeah, do not do that. I would, that would, that's one thing I would I'd give a hard no to, but, uh, but, and I also would say probably don't study theater. Go study jazz performance. Study, study. Uh, I don't know anything that. Like again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about just learning all these other styles very authentically. Like study like the things that make music feel good, and like try to like find that thread. Because when if you do find yourself in a theater setting, you know your ability to do that at a high level, I think trumps your ability to thrive like it's more important to know how to do that than to just like be familiar with a lot of classical theater musicals and and knowing how to you know play chimes correctly musical theater in today's day and age just knowing how to play drums at a high level and making things feel good and play with intention trumps everything else I say this all the time to a lot of people that I interview. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if there's anything I I miss a lot about playing music, it's playing in a live environment and like seeing people in a room. And now that I'm back in New York and able to kind of sub, I'm hoping to kind of get into more of, more of that and kind of reconnect with that kind of just playing in a room with people. And um, cause yeah, I mean, I've been basically ex- with the exception of maybe like a, two or three gigs in the last five years, I basically have just played in a pit in a box, um, and my, in my home studio, but you know, that's so hoping to have some fun and play music with friends. I think that's what it all comes down to. What kind of gear do you use in your pit? 
Yeah. Um, I endorse Pearl Drums and Vic Firth sticks and um, All Claire Audio in-ears. So I use all those things in the pit. And, um, oh, Big Fat Snare Drum. Got to give them a shout too. Uh, But I, yeah, I have a a seven, well, I have a Maple Gum Pearl Kit. Toms are 10, 12, 14, 16. Uh, I have a reference pearl snare drum that's 20 ply maple super heavy loud cracking drum as my main snare um and i have a kind of a 14 by 8 big fat snare that i use from time to time and also a piccolo snare um all pearl and um yeah and i have a collection of, of you know zildjian symbols that i that i like mostly k's that i that i just love and um and I use a bunch of external trigger pads uh, to trigger some sounds. So not every electronic sound lives on the SPDS unit. Um, and if anybody wants to check out my Instagram, you'll find that kit uh, posted in a few places. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the rig is, the rig is very fun. And I, my 16 year old self, when I walk into work still giggles a little bit because it's, it, yeah, because it's it's large and I, <laughs> and, I and I love it. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's yeah. cool. So you also work on various other things at home. You have a home studio and you record samples. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so during the pandemic, um, I kind of I landed. My tour was in Toronto when everything shut down, and um, I had at this point given up my apartment in New York. So, my partner and I landed uh, in suburban Maryland, outside DC, at um, at one of her at her family's house. Uh, and so they had a room in the basement that was just kind of empty. And so I drove up to New York one afternoon. And uh, went to my storage spot and just uh, grabbed all my drums and all my recording stuff and drove it back down. And so I, I, I had a little setup in this room for a bit and I, we were in this house for basically 11 months. And so I had, after being on the road for two and a half years straight, I finally had like all my gear in one place and just like all the time in the world to just like track drums and, and, and work on recording and do that thing. And, I, I kind of started collaborating with uh, a good buddy of mine, another producer who I played a lot of music with and worked a lot with in New York before I left with Hamilton. And um, he had been making sample packs of like keyboard patches and different synth wave files that he would put in these bundles and sell on this website. And so he wanted to do a drum break pack with me. So what I would do is just, you know, we needed about 30 kind of motifs per bundle. And in so it'd be 30 folders of about 10 or so two bar loops of, you know, same basic beat, but like varying fills um, and just like different variations throughout. Uh, so, I mean, and, and some packs are more geared to songwriting where it'd be like two of the beat, two of the loops would be just me playing a simple hi-hat pattern with just kick drum and then adding a snare and then maybe like, I don't know, just varying it up the slightest bit, maybe to the ride to, to just to, for a chorus effect. Um, and so anyways, yeah, so I, I, I made a lot of, a lot of these, uh, 
these packs, which um, the series is called Break Habits. And uh, we have them for sale on the drumbroker.com. And yeah, it was a cool experience. And so I, I would re- I would record them all at home and, um, you know, use a couple different snare drums, a couple different drum sets, different muffling techniques. And, and then I would send basically a bunch of Pro Tool files to my friend and he would kind of mix everything and run it through all his analog gear and tape machines in Brooklyn and edit and, you know, and then, yeah, so we had this product and it was cool. It was a nice little, uh, nice little money generator for a while. And also something to keep me, keep me busy and like, uh, you know, spending time, getting to spend that kind of time in the studio was like invaluable, especially at that, that point after being on the road so long. Do you have a studio at your place in New York? Uh, I don't, um, I have a studio at my house in Nashville that, um, where my, where my partner lives. And, um, so I, all my stuff is kind of there currently. Um, and I, I try to go back as much as I can, but, um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be in a place where I can have two studios, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where most of my gear lives right now. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, Instagram, that's kind of the only place I exist in social media. Uh, at Sam Hit Drum is my handle, um, but I also have a website, uh, com. and there's uh, you can learn about all my shenanigans there, and and uh, yeah, no TikTok. <laughs> I have have <laughs> haven't breached that world yet. Well. For anyone that wants to see Sam, well, you're not going to ask you to see him play. Do you, are you are you on stage at all in the show? We're not on stage, no. But okay. we do get a bow at the end, so you might see my face at the end of the show. <laughs> so if you want to see Sam Merrick play at you know during the bow or hear him play, you can see him at the Stephen Sondheim Theater at 124 West 43rd Street in New York City for the show and Juliet. Thank you very much sam merrick for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me about broadway yeah play appreciate it man yeah well, thank you for doing what you do and yeah thanks for having me to continue producing the high quality podcast you're listening to publishing engaging newsletter content and posting youtube videos we would appreciate any financial contributions you can make at this time we have no advertisers and we'd like to keep it that way. Our staff is small, but growing. We can only produce a show with listener contributions from people like you. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can sign up to be a monthly or annual subscriber at broadwaydrumming101.com. You can also contribute any amount you wish through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash broadwaydrumming101 or through Venmo at broadwaydrumming101. Or... Help keep us caffeinated by buying us a cup of coffee or a week's worth at buymeacoffee.com forward slash BD101. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash BD101. We appreciate any support you can give. Don't forget to subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page. You'll find more content that isn't featured on the podcast or on the Broadway Drumming 101 Instagram page. 
Make sure when you subscribe to the YouTube page, you click on the button to be notified when a new video is published. Be sure to visit our new shop at merchandise.broadwaydrumming101.com. Thanks again for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast.